So at this time, uh, for the reading of God's word, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18, uh, and then finishing in chapter 4, verse 1. And as you turn there in your own Bible, or you can find it um, on the screen behind me as well to follow along, um, this is a, a, a countercultural text for our times. And so I'm going to introduce our guest preacher uh, after I read this text. But as we read this, just think about how this text may be encroaching on some of your, uh, your assumptions about how the world is. Um, but this is Paul writing to the Colossian church. Uh, Colossians 3, 18 to chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master, capital M, in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This time I'm going to invite forward Dr. Dan Darko. And let me just give a brief introduction to him. He said, he told me, he said, Stephen, keep the introduction short. So that means I'm going to go on and on. Uh, but many of you know Dr. Darko. He's been here before. He loves this church. Uh, he has a particular heart for Salem and for people hearing the good news in this city. Um, but he's a, a professor of New Testament at Gordon College, uh, hailing originally from Ghana. And um, just a, a wonderful man of God who has immense wisdom. And we look forward to you teaching us this morning from this, from this text. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you very much for having me. For those of you who are visiting the first time, it is your opportunity to practice on ascents. So you have to lean in and begin to listen to something that sounds like English. And when you are not sure, just imagine that I am telling you, I love you so much. <laughs> it is indeed a great, great privilege and joy to join you here. And I must say something. I didn't know that Matt, who is not in this room, had been here and participating and serving alongside uh, Stephen and Sarah and Javier and ministry here. Matt, Matt was my student. He actually had a class with me just last semester and I like to tease him a lot. I, I didn't know that he had such a great voice. That is incredible. And for Javier, I've, I've known this man for quite some time. I've seen him around here for maybe four or five years and uh, there is a new sense of release, joy in his voice as I hear him sing. And I'm so thankful to God for that. 
God is good. I hope you are not disheartened or depressed by listening or hearing the word read from Colossians 3, 18 to 4, verse 1. Our subject today is the family of the kingdom of God. And you have been learning a great deal about Christ as the supreme authority who permeates, who sets us free, who gives us the freedom that we need to walk in that newness that God only offers to those who seek him. Christ being the Lord of all. And the fact that he took us from difficult conditions. He took us from the state of darkness. He took us from the state and gripped or encased in the activities, in the power structures of principalities and powers. He delivered us and gave us the freedom that we could enjoy as children of God in this world. Remember that at this time, the churches met in homes. In Colossae, which is just about 110, 120 miles from Ephesus, most of the churches we knew at this time in the first century met in homes. So imagine that church meeting is meeting in someone's living room, maximum of about 50 people learning to grow and to walk with Christ. Paul is also interested in how these families work well. Because it is a culture that family was highly valued. It's a culture that family was the instrument by which people defined their identity. My family is so, so, and so. And you live to try to honor your family in the way you behave in the public place. Imagine that for those who are in Christ, they have come to understand that God is their father and that we are brothers and sisters. So it is important for us to live as the new in their culture in a way that will glorify God in everything we do. But before we go on for briefly for me to lay out some few things in this text to you, I'd like to give you or help you to refresh your minds about the state of affairs today in the United States when we think about family. There are a few things that are completely like unaligned when we read this passage. The first is our contest. Our contest no longer value family the way it once did. In fact, I'm guessing that there will be some stars showing there. For the percentage of men and women aged 25 and older who have never been married in the United States, the Pew Research shows that as the years go by, more and more men and more and more women are not married. And not only are they not married, they don't want to be married. 
So you see, as at 2012, now the number is rising almost to 30% for men and about 20% for women 25 and older are not married. One in three men, you see 25 and older, are not married. The other thing you should note is the percentage of people who are saying couples living together without being married is generally good or bad. In other words, cohabiting, whether you turn out having children or not, in the United States, you see of the number for men, you see that 26% of men says it is bad when people cohabit without having children. But the other side is true. 13% says it's good. 23% of women say it is bad. 15% of women say it's good. But let me draw your attention to something else on that chart from Pew Research. You also notice the age. So pay close attention to the age 18 and 29. 28% of them say it's good to live with someone without being married to the person. Take another look at the ages from 30 to 49. A large percentage. So if you if you combine 18 to 49, you understand what is going on. A large number of people in our population now say family is not the way we're supposed to view family anymore. They are not interested in marriage. Whether they go to church or not go to church, they are not interested. Take a quick look at something else. The group of people who say it is very important for them that a couple legally get married if they plan to spend their life together. And you will see some very interesting observations there from the research. 44% men thought it's very important. 50% of women say it is very important. Now, look at another shift in demographics. It used to be that white society in America was more interested in marriage and family than black and Hispanic. Now, it is reversed. 44% of whites say being legally married is important. The number increases to 50s when you deal with blacks and Hispanics. Take a look at the other group, which is my constituents in the college, a group that I'm very concerned about, 18 to 49. Take a look at them. Their numbers go way down. If you look at the other chart, the reasons why people don't get married, some say they are not ready to settle down. Those are the 18 and above folks. You see them there? Large chunk of them say they are not ready to settle down. 
If you increase the age, then you see a large number. I'm suggesting to you that as the word of God encourages us to think about family in the kingdom of God, and as we think and reflect of how we become God's people who live to be true witnesses in the world, this is the world we live in. The world we live in is no longer a world where people are interested in marriage. When I ask college students, why are you not interested in marriage? Some of them talk about not being ready financially because of the loans they carry. And some of them talk about what they have seen with their parents or relatives. This is a big concern for us and should be for us who are in the church. What does it mean to be a family in the kingdom of God? Whenever we look at a text like Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 to 41, modern Christians, especially in the Western Hemisphere, are quick to find something that I don't think Paul is interested in in the text. The first question that comes up is, why is Paul calling women to submit? When I was a pastor in Pennsylvania, my church members used to talk about pastor, the S word, the women, they talk about the S word. And I said, what is the S word? That submit word. Some of them were highly allergic to that word. But is that what really Paul is interested in? You know, in our modern world, since Origins of the Species was published, in our highly individualistic world, we have come to be interested in power. We think about relationship and we think about power. A story is told about a couple who met friends and they were in conversation and a conversation began to develop about both wife and husband bragging about how competitive they are in their family. And a friend who is not a Westerner who was baffled by that argument began to ask, do you really share your heart with one another if you are so competitive? Husband began to scratch the head. Wife looks uncomfortable. And then the conversation goes further. Do you really, really have a place where you feel you can be vulnerable with your spouse if you are so highly competitive? Husband turns around, scratch the head more. In no time, wife begins to break up in tears. Paul is not interested in power in relationships. We raise questions about what is the issue between husband and wife in terms of equality Paul is not interested in that question. Martin and I have heard me shown in class that in fact I can show them Greek literature. Paul is interested in mutuality. 
when we are raising the questions of equality, which is a question of who has power to control whom, and how do we level the power playing field, Paul is interested in how do we get along with each other? How do we care for each other? How do we connect with each other? How do we live in a household that God is glorified? Mutuality addresses issues of relationship, respect, understanding, interdependence, solidarity. I met one of the members of the church this morning who shares with me about and very uh, very positive the care he gives to his wife how could that be if you don't have a heart to reach out to your spouse if the life is all about who has more power to crush whom or to defeat whom Paul promotes mutuality within the traditional structures of family in his time. And so when we look at the text, we'll begin to look at how Paul restrains power while he promotes concord. In other words, we begin to see how Paul is interested in checking abuse and selfish pursuits so that husband and wife could work together. Children and parents could live at peace together. Even slaves in the household will find a sense of dignity and self-respect in their service. It's not how we always read Paul. Perhaps not. What if I tell you that in the ancient world, the age between a husband and wife is almost always between 15 and 10 years. That a husband was always older than a wife. And women could be given up to marriage as early as 12 or 13. That is why it is a culture that puts a lot of responsibility on the man to be the head of the household. To make decisions. To, to work on their farms. To do the what it takes to be able to feed the family, provide the needs of the family, while the wife took care of a lot of things in the household. Today, the story is different. The wife may be older than the husband. They may be of the same age. They may have professions. Today, what is happening in our colleges, most colleges have 60%, most liberal arts institutions have 60% women and 40% men. I tell the women that it means fast forward 20 years from now, more women will make more money than men. So they have to be used to they being the ones who have to work because they can bring more income so that the husbands could be at home to help raise the kids. Those are dynamics we want to think and reflect on carefully. But I don't want any one of us to lose sight of the cracks of the matter. When Paul says, wives, submit, to your husbands. It's an environment where the husband is older than the wife. The husband culturally has a responsibility to provide and to care for the wife. 
and the wife who is significantly younger is supposed to do her best to work with the husband. Paul did not intend to suppress women or to abuse women. In fact, to the contrary, in both Roman and Greek culture, if a husband does not take care of the wife well, the father of the wife can come and take her daughter, his daughter away from the man at any time. In other words, I have two girls. If someone is married to any of my daughters and they are not treating them fairly in the ancient world, I reserve the right to go in and take my daughter from them at any time. The husband then has obligation to care, to be decent and to be respectful to the woman. The woman is being instructed here to submit, which is voluntary submission. And notice the motivation to submit to the husband as it is fitting in the Lord. That is something that God himself would accept. The relational posture should be that which meets the commendation of God himself. To submit literally is to come under and yet it is voluntary, voluntary yielding in love in the relationship. When Paul asked women or the wife to submit to the husband, he was not by any means asking the husband to demand that the wife submit. He was asking the wife to voluntarily do so. When he turns to the husband, he asks the husband to love his wife. Here, take a look at the text again and see what Paul is doing. Paul will now go on to restrain the husband so that he does not abuse any power he may have culturally. So he says, love your wife. And then he restrains him by saying, do not be harsh. The word he uses for love is the word that has a sense of warmth a sense of affection, a sense that in, the, in Christ himself being a model in the New Testament is that which requires the man to be prepared to lay his life down for his wife. When I speak with women alone, I like to ask the question, would you rather be prepared to lay your life down for your husband? Or submit if you have two choices. None of them is higher than the other. A husband who truly loves is involved in mutual submission with the wife as well. But more than submission, the husband can now bring in emotional, deep emotional affection of love, positive emotion, affection, respect towards the spouse. Notice the restraining language there. The restraining language in Greek is very interesting. When Paul says, do not be harsh to your wife, he's actually using the word that says, do not make her bitter. Or do not make her feel embittered. 
Do not do things that will irritate her. And so in what Paul is trying to do here, if you look at the whole instruction, he put restraint on the husband, on the man who's supposed to be head of the household while he gives motivation for the wife and for the children to live up. What is the goal? So that they can live in harmony. So that there can be mutuality in the household. So that there can be solidarity in the household. It doesn't matter who is the head and who is the tail. But members of the household can live with mutual respect and decency. Paul talks about children and your parent relationship. Some of us in this room may not be married, but all of us are children. Or should I say, true or false? <laughs> if you have a living parent, Paul obliges, as it was the culture of the time, and I will highly encourage today to obey your parents. To obey is to follow their instructions. To follow their lead. To honor them. In my culture, the highest form of respect you can give to yourself growing up as an Akan in Ghana is to honor my parents up to the point where I can give my parents a decent and honorable barrier at their death. To disrespect my parents at any time in my life is a disgrace. Some of these cultures talking about how family work together is almost this cultural obligation and inherent instinctual desire to want to honor your parents. Does it mean parents are always going to do all things right? No. But as my grandmother used to remind me, Parents lay sacrifices. They laid their lives down. They suspended their sleep. They put their children first in a way that children will never know until they become parents. It is just right that we honor them. If we are older and our parents are alive, we may not be in a position to say, we obey you, do this, do that, always. But I would say, why not honor as even one of the Ten Commandments reminds us. Notice the motivation for the children. Do so, obey your parents, because it, it pleases the Lord. The word is, it is acceptable to the Lord. Now look at what Paul when he turns to the husband who is responsible for discipline of the children, what Paul will do, Paul will put restraint on the husband. Oh, do you notice that? Do not provoke them, he says. Do not exasperate your children. Because if you do so, they will be disheartened. They will be discouraged. They will be dispirited. 
When Paul does all this, what he is doing is simple. It is the message that is consistently going through Colossians. That for those of us who know Christ, love should actually trump all things. Love should permeate how we live. And if anything, we should understand our place in God as members of the household of God who need to live in oneness, in mutual respect, in mutual love, in mutual submission, in mutual acceptance, all so that God will be glorified. Paul put a lot of restrictions on the husband. Now the instruction for the slaves, in the ancient world there were slaves. In fact, the average city may have about 30% of the population being slaves. Slaves were of the same race as the masters. There were so many reasons why people would be slaves, and there were many forms of slavery at a time. Because we don't have that going on here, that may not necessarily be something that applies to us. But what if we learn that from that instruction, whatever we do, in our service to God, in our service to society, in our service to one another, if we would do them and work heartily as we are doing it for the Lord, if we would develop that posture, God will be glorified. And even that, remember chapter 4 verse 1, he still puts a check on the husband. You should treat your slaves fairly and justly. Because what? If you don't do that, there is someone else who will take you on someday. May I suggest to you that we often misread Paul when we read this text. May I encourage all of us to see and find in our hearts the need to live in solidarity, in peace and love, with one another in our household. Husband and wives, may I suggest that we begin to shift the focus on power to mutuality. How we may live at peace with one another. How we may respect one another. Which may require some degree of vulnerability. Some degree of mutual interdependence. And in closing, may I suggest that we let mutual submission drive us to appreciate the other. May I ask that mutual submission make us be willing to defer to the other and to depend on the other to grow and to advance in concord in our relationships to one another in our households. I pray that we all will let love arrest our hearts and enlighten our eyes to see the best in the other. As a person or people who deserve the best of us. May love and the love of Christ prompt us to find joy in giving of ourselves for the benefit of the other in our relationships in the household.
And let all who have living parents, I would suggest, be children who find delight in obeying and honoring our parents. They made some sacrifices on our behalf. For us to be Christian families, who will reflect family of the kingdom of God. May God help us to bear witness in this broken world. Where examples are making young people disinterested in marriage and family. May God grant us grace to take this word. To have a restart in our desire and passion for one another. In our relationships in our families. And may God help us to revisit, reflect, and fully embrace our obligations to one another. Just so that we can love one another and live to the glory of God. I have said quite a bit. It's possible that some of you understood what I'm saying. And some of you said, what language has he been speaking so far? To those who could not understand the kind of English I am speaking. May I close in reminding all of us. It is God's desire. That in our family. We live in mutual respect. Mutual submission and love. It is God's desire. That Christians become models that outsiders can look to. And want to be like. And it is my prayer. That God blesses each one of us. God strengthens each one of us. Even where hurts and pain. Is the reason we could not do all this. That God would heal us. God will release us. And God will restore us. So that when he mends the broken heart, we can take step forward towards the mutuality that I've been talking about. First Baptist Church in Salem, may God bless you. May God grant you grace. May God empower you. And may God set you ablaze for his own glory in this neighborhood and beyond. Amen.